0: Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now, here's your
1: host, Shane Megan with you on this Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China continues to deal with flooding in many cities and villages, with more rainfall on the way for the country's northeastern provinces. The warring parties in Sudan are engaged in another round of heavy fighting in and around the capital. And several Amazon countries have signed the Bellum Declaration on protecting the rainforest. In business, consumer demand in China shows signs of recovery. In sports, the closing ceremony of the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, the CityWalk trend on Chinese social media. Now look at the day's top stories. China continues to fight flooding triggered by heavy rains. Typhoon Kanoon's forecast to bring a new spell of rainfall to the country's northeastern provinces this week. Heilongjiang Province has called for immediate evacuation in several communities as water levels in 12 rivers has risen above safe levels. In neighboring Jilin Province, where floodings killed 14 people, water levels in major reservoirs and rivers have receded. The province is now bracing for new flooding from the Jiang River. Uh, Zheng Saran has the latest from the city of Fuyu. Here in Fuyu City,
2: a total of four towns were affected by the flooding. So far, over 23,000 residents have been safely evacuated. And thanks to this in-time response, so far there have been no casualties reported in this area. Actually, all the flood-affected areas here in Jilin Province have already accelerated the recovery works and try to restore the normalcy to people's lives as soon as possible. The city of Shulang, it took a major hit from the massive flooding, and um, the rainstorms there had left 14 people dead and one missing by Sunday. But the good news is the city have already seen a receded water levels there and in major reservoirs and rivers, all the water levels have already receded to within the safe range. And according to the local flood control and disaster relief headquarters, the city of Shulan has already restored communications to 40 villages and reinstated power to over 16,000 households and disinfected more than 1,000.
1: Uh, Meantime, recovery operations continue in Beijing and nearby areas after record rainfall and flooding triggered by the aftermath of Typhoon Doksuri. Tianjin's been stepping up efforts to ease flooding. Local authorities are opening more outlets to discharge water into local rivers. Rainstorms are also expected to hit some regions south of the Yangtze River as well as parts of South China, including Yunnan province, in the coming days. China's allocated over 730 million yuan, or roughly 100 million U.S. dollars, to support the recovery of agricultural production. The disaster relief funds will support nine provincial regions, including Hebei, Jilin, Heilongjiang, and Fujian, as well as the Huang Group, one of China's major agricultural and agribusiness companies. Record-breaking rains brought by Typhoon Doksuri hit northern China, damaging crops and agricultural production facilities, and leading to flooding in cities. At least 33 people are dead in Beijing as a result of intense rainfall last week. 18 others remain missing. Floodings affected nearly 1.3 million people in the capital city. More than 15,000 hectares of crops or agricultural lands have been damaged. Yu Li reports.
3: According to the news briefing, Beijing faced extreme heavy rain between July 29 and August 2. This rainfall broke a 140-year record, causing significant damage. And There were more than 300 reported disaster events, uh, more than 10 times the yearly uh, average from recent years. And over one million people were affected, with 59,000 houses collapsing and 15,000 hectares of crops damaged. Unfortunately, 33 people died, including five during rescue efforts. Basic services like water, road, and power were damaged Repairs are ongoing and 82,000 affected residents are now in safe places with essentials and medical care being supplied. Uh, The city is now uh, focusing on preventing secondary disasters and disease outbreaks. Over the next year, Beijing plans to rebuild damaged areas and in the next three years, uh, disaster readiness and living conditions will be improved.
1: That was Yu Li reporting. Many volunteers are preparing hot meals for people evacuated from flood-affected areas in Zhuazhou, Hebei province, one of the most severely hit cities. Over 200 have offered to help prepare and deliver meals to the people sheltering at resettlement sites. Some of them are offering the meals at the Zhuazhou No. 2 Middle School, which now serves as a temporary resettlement site. Over 1,000 evacuated residents rely on the volunteer team to provide lunch and dinner at the site. Wang Jiandong is the party branch secretary of Sani Road Community. He says the local government and people from all walks of life have helped with their volunteer efforts.
4: On
1: August second, our community heard that the Zhuozhou
5: No. 2 Middle School became a resettlement site for the affected people. So our community asked the town government if we could prepare lunch and dinner for them. With support and help from the government, enterprises, social organizations, and individuals, we temporarily set up a charity meal relief site supplying more than 1,600 meals
3: a day.
1: Many residents sheltering at the school have expressed their gratitude. At that time, the flood was coming
6: soon, and the village informed us to evacuate immediately. We came out without taking anything. I was very anxious and scared. Now there are people from all walks of life sending supplies to help us. And people from all over the country are helping us. Our hearts are very warm.
2: When I came to this resettlement site, I was very moved. We had hot meals to eat and the air conditioner was available. It felt like we had
1: escaped from death. The volunteers say their efforts will continue until the displaced residents are able to return home. Typhoon Kanoon continues to batter southern and western Japan with torrential rains canceling hundreds of flights. In the meantime, Tropical Storm Lands expected to hit Japan's Ogasawara Islands in the Pacific from Thursday through Saturday. Chris Gilbert reports in Tokyo.
7: Well, it's been uh, a week of build-up for Kyushu in particular, that main western island, uh, as this storm has really set up camp over western Japan it continues to batter the area with high winds, torrential rain uh, and, and Kyushu in particular is seeing thousands of evacuations at the moment uh, particularly from the risk of mudslides and landslides uh, there was a forecast that 300 millimeters of rain is meant to fall over a 24-hour period absolutely intense deluges and in some parts have seen uh, an accumulated 700 millimeters over the last couple of days now this comes on top of weeks and weeks of rain that they saw throughout June and July, too. So the risk of mudslides and landslides in Miyazaki Prefecture, Kagoshima Prefecture and other parts of Kyushu is very high, as well as the risk of flooding. Uh, Many rivers in the area are already past their high warning levels for flooding, and uh, officials are asking for strict vigilance from all locals who have not been evacuated to stay uh, in sturdy accommodation, uh, Shinkansen or the bullet train, They've all been canceled for that part of Japan. There are road closures around the coastal highways and and roads, but due to the high tides, and uh, more than 400 flights have been canceled, affecting some 60,000 passengers. Now, it is the peak summer holidays at the moment, the Obon holidays, they're called in Japan at the moment, where people return to their hometowns from Tokyo to around uh, Kyushu. So many, many people and holidaymakers are going to be severely affected by this uh, as this uh, typhoon continues to just plague and batter Western Japan.
1: And that was Chris Gilbert reporting. Wang Tianyi at the China Meteorological Administration has an update on the development of Typhoon Canoon.
8: According to the latest forecast, Kanoon keeps the intensity as a severe tropical storm and it keeps churning over to the south of Kagoshima, Japan. And it is projected to move towards into the north by west direction in the next few days and will probably make its landfall in the south of the Korea Peninsula sometime during Thursday morning. And a flooding rain will be the top concern in the next few days and here for the southern portion of Korea Peninsula is likely to brace for rather torrential, if not ex- extremely torrential amounts of rain. From Wednesday night into Thursday morning, before and after canoeing's landfall, and then in turns to northeast China to brace for another round of intense downpours just a few days later to the last round of rainstorm, and the situation could be rather devastating. As we can notice that over the past eight days, and the, the majority of the northeast China experienced above normal precipitations, and the east portion of northeast is actually experienced the worst strike and here for portions of Jilin and Heilongjiang actually experienced the rainfall totals about one to two times larger than the average rainfall amounts at this time of year and there's more rain to come as we can notice that more rain is likely to develop here for the majority of Heilongjiang as well as Jilin from Thursday into Saturday and the rainfall totals this time in the region could be estimated about 50 millimeters or even up to 100 millimeters especially for the eastern
1: Portion of that was uh, Wang Tianyi rep- er, uh, reporting. Uh, the north of France is usually the wettest part of the country, but farmers are now seeking new ways to keep their crops and animals alive as water shortages become a regular occurrence in the region, Ross Cullen reports.
9: Jean Christophe Ruffin checks the beetroots on his farm. It's one of the crops he grows to feed his livestock. The weather is crucial for farmers, but it's increasingly hard to forecast and dry spells are having a more and more significant impact. Climate change is real, and we can see it. Harvest dates are a little earlier in the calendar than when we were young. Compared with 30 years ago, the harvest is now taking place 15 days earlier. Increasingly frequent dry winters are exacerbating the water storage situation in the north, meaning some farmers are having to change their practices. We have to adapt because our working environment, our factory, is all you can see out here. It's nature. So we're adapting a little, we're going to change our tillage practices a little. We're trying to keep the soil moist in case of spring droughts like this year. Diversification is one way to manage and alongside the beetroot, Jean-Christophe grows wheat, potatoes and maize. In the sheds, his herd is fed on the food he grows on site. These cows produce milk for market, and he also raises chickens for meat. The north is one of the wettest regions in France, but even here they're starting to see the impact of increased winter and summer droughts. This area of France is border country. Belgium is just a couple of kilometers away. It's a heavily populated area with a growing number of houses and widespread industry using huge quantities of water. Agriculture is also a major consumer of water. As more areas of France deal with the impacts of unseasonal dry spells, how to manage water use in the future is a major point of discussion. We must all pay attention to water. I think we also need to harvest rainwater when it falls a lot, when it falls too much. We could collect it in basins to allow it to slowly enter the water table and recharge underground storage. Another impact of climate change is that the regularity of the seasons is changing. It's becoming increasingly hard for farmers like Jean-Christophe to predict rainfall, plus sudden winds can blow in. And France is starting to witness longer, more intense droughts in more and more areas of the country.
1: And that was Ross Collin reporting on the drought situation in northern France. Coming up, heavy fighting in the Sudanese capital.
10: Zheozhou, a city nestled at the confluence of multiple rivers, has become one of the most severely flooded cities in the past two weeks. The deluge, equivalent to the force of seven Yellow River's main streams, raged into the northern Chinese city during the peak of the recent flooding caused by Typhoon Doxury. To understand the ongoing efforts of post-disaster relief in Zheozhou, and uncover why the losses were worse than expected, Join us in this week's episode of Deep Dive. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive.
1: 14 minutes past the hour. The Sudanese armed forces and the paramilitary rapid support forces continue to exchange fire in Khartoum and surrounding areas. The capital's health authorities say more than 20 civilians have died, while many others have been injured in the clashes. The fighting centered around an army base in western Omdurman. Civilians say it was the fiercest fighting since the conflict began back in April. Electricity and communications were cut in the region for several hours, and uh, the only still operating uh, hospital in Omdurman is now running out of blood. The United Nations says more than four million people are displaced and the conflict shows no signs of letting up. Fighting between Ethiopia's army and the Fano militia continues in the country's Amhara region. Several people have been killed. The Ethiopian government has declared a state of emergency in Amhara aimed at restoring law and order. Giram Chela has the latest from Addis Ababa.
0: Reports suggest heavy fighting between the army and militia men known as Fano is taking place in several parts of the Amhara region. Many people have been killed, although there is no exact death toll that has been made public. Following the government's declaration of a state of emergency in the region, a command post is overseeing
5: operations there. (laughs) inciting any form of uprising in the region delivering speech fueling insecurity encouraging and spreading violence in any form in the region is forbidden moreover providing financial information material and moral support directly or indirectly to armed men is
4: prohibited
0: several people have been erased in the region as special military operations continue amid a strict curfew flights and most road transport activities to and from the region have been halted since last week, making life difficult for many locals.
5: People suspected of connections to the current violence in the Amhara region, those who give missions and those who take part in different forms, are being put under custody. The government will share more information with the public regarding further measures which will be taken in the future.
0: The Fano militia leaders say the government has been unlawfully interfering in the affairs of the region which resulted in, quote, the undermining of Amharas. The government denies such accusations and say the militiamen intend to topple the constitutional order and are criminals. Social media activists and media affiliated with the militia claim the gunmen have taken control of a few cities in the region. Reports suggest the region's capital Bahadar, and the historic Gonda city are witnessing intense clashes. Many within the country and from across the world are already making calls for the conflict to be peacefully resolved. Addis Ababa believes it has given ample opportunities for the militia to put down arms and return to finding political solutions for any differences. Others fear this could cause a full-fledged war in the country again.
1: That was Giram Chala reporting. Nigeria's presidential spokesman says his president and West Africa's regional bloc, ECOWAS, prefer a diplomatic and peaceful resolution to the military takeover in Niger. This comes after Niger's military defied a deadline imposed by ECOWAS to reinstate the ousted president. Uh, and McCallum has more from Abuja, Nigeria.
11: The military takeover in Niger has been met with mixed reactions from various quarters, The military has enjoyed widespread support from a sizable number of citizens. This, as it most recently announced a national council with Ali Mamin Lamein Zayn as the new prime minister to General Abdurrahman Tiani. Tiani has also got the backing of fellow military leaders in Mali and Burkina Faso, who also came to power by way of coups. He also appointed leaders across the country's regions. Niger's Hunter, meanwhile, snubbed all ECOWAS and Nigerian delegations sent to hold talks on reinstating the democratically elected government of ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Following the expiration of an ultimatum given them by ECOWAS, Niger declared its airspace a no-fly zone, saying all unauthorized aircrafts that attempts to fly across its airspace would be met by an immediate response. Already, the European Union and United States are among countries suspending millions of dollars' worth of aid to Niger. Nigeria has cut off Niger's electricity supply. Niger is one of the world's poorest countries. Every year, the nation depends on the West for aid totaling close to $2 billion. ECOWAS has said a military intervention is likely if Bazoom is not reinstated. But Nigeria's Senate has refused to back a war. Conversations at Thursday's meeting of ECOWAS are expected to center around a review of the diplomatic efforts in Niger and whether the regional bloc can afford the substantial financial toll such a war at this time could bring.
1: That was Kalechi and McCallum reporting. Uh, Africa Security and Policy Analyst Abdullah uh, Abdullah Boru says sanctions will only harm the situation in Niger.
5: 70% of its electricity comes from Nigeria, which is the seat of ECOWAS, the 15-nation uh, me- uh, block in the region. So it's going to be very difficult. Never mind, you know, 40% of Niger's economy is reliant on agriculture. If it can't export, that would be very difficult financially also, the ECOWAS has retained or, you know, refused to give some of the money that it has in the bloc central bank. So all of these alibades, but it will begin to bite very soon. Sunday was the deadline of one week uh, before the military intervention from the Bloc. That did not happen. We are having, you know, an extraordinary summit on Thursday to determine any you know, actions that will be taken. ECOWAS needs to open up the diplomatic route. Sanctions in and of itself is not a policy. It is a tool designed to change a state's behavior. If that doesn't work, the military, again, is not an option. This is not an issue. This is not the Gambia in 2017. Niger is a very large country, twice the size of France. So an attack or a military intervention is not going to solve the problem. This is a fairly fraught situation.
1: And that was analyst Abdullahai Boru-Halaki on the situation in Niger. Five people have been killed in Cape Town, South Africa, after a strike by taxi drivers turned violent. The taxi operator organization announced a one-week provincial shutdown last Thursday after failing to resolve various issues with the local government. The grievances arose from a new municipal law that gave local authorities the power to impound vehicles for violations such as driving without a license or registration plates. Local police say they've arrested 120 people since that strike started. You're listening to The Beijing Hour. Coming up, several countries in South America have signed an agreement to protect the Amazon. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The
0: Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world.
1: 22 minutes past the hour. Participants at a summit on protecting the Amazon rainforest have signed the uh, Bellum Declaration to reduce deforestation and support the sustainable development of the regions surrounding the rainforest. The summit in the Brazilian city is also calling on developed countries to offer new aid on tackling climate change. Paulo Cabral has more.
4: Representatives of eight countries from the Amazon region are gathered here in the city of Belém, discussing important issues for this rainforest. Out of the eight countries, five of them have their highest authorities—heads of state or of government—in this convention. That includes the host, President of Brazil Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, and also the presidents of Colombia, Bolivia, and Peru, uh, uh, other, and also uh, the Prime Minister of Guyana. Other three countries did not sent their highest authorities, but did send high officials, those were Suriname, Venezuela and Ecuador. President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva made the opening remarks of this gathering, stressing how important it is for the Amazon countries to remain together and keep in touch. It's been 14 years that we do not have a summit, and it's the first time we are doing this here in the state of Pará. And this is happening at a moment of severe worsening of the climate crisis. It has never been so urgent for us to expand our cooperation. It's the challenge of our times, and the opportunities that are appearing demand joint action. There is expectation that the countries gathered here will come out with a joint statement bringing a unified position to the United Nations climate change conference set to happen in November in Dubai and likely demanding richer countries to fulfill their commitments in helping the developing nations to preserve nature, for example, by releasing the funds that have been promised years ago but besides the discussions between the heads of state they also had to hear what the civil society uh, had to say on the days running up to the summit there were the amazon dialogues happening with the presence of environmentalists activists and joe's and they were heard in the first uh, session of the summit they could speak to the heads of state and brought concerns for example having to do with the exploration of oil in the amazon about the survival of of indigenous peoples and also very importantly about sustainable development in the Amazon. And this is a big issue because these countries still do have serious social and economic issues affecting the populations of the Amazon. So one big question that's been asked here and still without a definite answer, how can these countries improve the economy, the social conditions, create more jobs and better wages for these people without destroying the Amazon.
1: That was Paulo Cabral reporting on the Amazon summit held in Bellum, Brazil. The main opposition party of South Korea has decided to submit a letter to the UN Human Rights Council to uh, protest planned discharge of radioactive wastewater by Japan into the ocean. The Democratic Party says in the letter that dumping of the nuclear-contaminated wastewater into the marine environment will violate the Fundamental Human Rights Convention and the Scientific Safety Standard and Principle. The party warns that the dumping will pose serious risk to the marine environment and the enjoyment of human rights of affected populations, including future generations. It says alternatives should be considered and pursued according to safety standards. The Japanese government's been pushing to dump the nuclear-contaminated wastewater this summer from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant amid wide criticism at home and abroad. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has welcomed the reopening of the Bab al Hawa border crossing for humanitarian aid delivery into southwest Syria. The Syrian government and the UN reached an understanding on the continued use of the crossing on the Turkish border for the next six months. The UN's been using Bab al Hawa to deliver assistance to northwest Syria since 2014, but the authorization expired last month after the Security Council failed to reach an agreement to extend it. The UN's also welcomed the extension of permission that allows aid delivery to the northwest of the country through the Bab al-Salam and al Ra'i crossings on the Turkish border for another three months. The UN initially allowed uh, to, uh, aid to be dispatched through the two crossings from Turkey for three months starting in February after a deadly earthquake jolted Syria and Turkey. The authorization was renewed in May and has now been extended until November 13th. The many governments announced that the delicate operation by the U.N. to unload oil from a deteriorating tanker stranded off the country's coast is in the final stages. Transport Minister Abdul Salam Humeid says workers have transferred over a million barrels of crude oil from the FSO Safer into a replacement vessel. That accounts for 94 percent of the total amount stored on board the uh, deteriorating tanker. The minister expressed gratitude for the efforts of international partners and local authorities. So SAFER has been marooned off the port of Hodeidah since 2015. Uh, Concerns uh, escalated regarding the potential for a devastating oil spill as the vessel's condition continued to deteriorate. Uh, The UN had uh, issued warnings about the possibility of an oil spill that could have surpassed the 1989 Exxon Valdez disaster in scale. The ship-to-ship transfer began last month. We're at 28 minutes past the hour, checking the forecast ahead of the break, and Beijing's at 24 overnight, tomorrow's cloudy in 30, Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then clouds in 35, Lhasa gets a slight rain in 12 overnight, Uh, showers in 24 tomorrow, Hong Kong's 29 this evening, then heavy rainfall in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 tonight, it'll see a slight rain in 31 on Thursday. Islamabad's 25, then a slight rain in 34, Bangkok's down to 26 degrees, then some rainfall in 35 degrees on Thursday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China continues to deal with flooding in many cities and villages, with more rainfall on the way for the country's northeastern provinces. The warring parties in Sudan are engaged in another round of heavy fighting in and around the capital. And several Amazon countries have signed the Bellum Declaration on protecting the rainforest. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour.
5: Experience the musical classics of the East mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks witness the sound of antiquity
0: and modernity. We
6: all enter this world with a universal greeting. (laughs) We then learn to speak.
8: Bonjour. Comment
0: allez-vous?
6: Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the
10: world. German railway company Deutsche of The United nations
6: Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world.
5: CGTN Radio. Hear the difference.
12: I love, you. I love you, This might be the easiest way to say I love you since there are so many other romantic
8: expressions No matter if you're a rookie 你好, or
3: a sophisticated learner
12: There is definitely something that will interest you Check out Takeaway Chinese,
2: a word that starts with Hao.
0: Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host.
1: Shane Biggum with you on this Wednesday. Still to come. In business, consumer demand in China shows signs of recovery. In sports, the closing ceremony of the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, the city walk trend on Chinese social media. To contact us, you can email BeijingHour at cri.com.cn or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, First of all, though, a check of the day's headline news. China continues to fight flooding triggered by heavy rains. Typhoon Kanun is forecast to bring a new spell of rainfall to the country's northeastern provinces this week. Heilongjiang province has called for immediate evacuation in several communities as water levels in 12 rivers have risen above safe levels. In neighboring Jilin province, where floodings killed 14 people, water levels in major reservoirs and rivers have receded. The province is now bracing for new flooding from the Songhua Jiang River. A meantime, recovery operations continue in Beijing and nearby areas after record rainfall and flooding triggered by the aftermath of typhoon Doksuri. Officials in Japan and South Korea have canceled flights and trains in southern regions as heavy rain from Typhoon Kanoon continues. Authorities say Kanoon could make landfall in Tongyang, South Korea on Thursday before tracking up the Korean Peninsula. The storm is currently uh, in the sea south of Kyushu after wreaking, uh, wreaking havoc in southwestern Okinawa. Areas of Kyushu have already been inundated with heavy rainfall in the past week. The Japan Meteorological Agency issued heavy rain and high wind alerts to many parts of southern and Western Japan. China's launched a new satellite for disaster reduction. The satellite will form an in-orbit network with a similar one that was launched into space back in October. The two will make up a preliminary constellation for emergency management and environmental monitoring. The Chinese foreign minister will embark on a three-nation tour to Southeast Asia this week. Wang Yil visits Singapore, Malaysia, and Cambodia from Thursday to Sunday. A Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson says China hopes the visit will bolster strategic communication with those three Southeast Asian countries. Japan's marked the 78th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki. Attendees to the memorial ceremony observed a moment of silence. Nagasaki Mayor Shiro Suzuki called on world leaders to stop relying on nuclear deterrence and move towards abolishing nuclear weapons. The mayor also called on the Japanese government to firmly maintain the principle of peace stated in the Constitution and engage in diplomatic efforts aimed at disarmament and alleviation of tensions in the region. The ceremony this year was scaled down due to the approaching Tropical Storm Canoon. Russia's National Security Service says it's arrested a suspect in Crimea who blew up a gas pipeline. According to the Federal Security Service, the suspect is a Russian citizen involved in a sabotage or in sabotage rather at the energy facility. The agency said the detainee confessed to collaborating with Special Services of Ukraine to carry out terrorist attacks in late June. Sudanese armed forces, or rather, the Sudanese armed forces and the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, continue to exchange fire in Khartoum and surrounding areas. The capital's health authorities say more than 20 civilians have died, while many others have been injured in the clashes. The fighting centered around an army base in western Omdurman. Civilians say it's the fiercest fighting since the conflict started in April. Electricity and communications were cut in the region for several hours. The only still-operating hospital in Omdurman is running out of blood. The United Nations says more than 4 million people are displaced as the conflict shows no sign of letting up. Citizens in Chicago have mourned a 9-year-old girl who was shot dead on the weekend. Some mourners have placed stuffed animals and sunflowers at the base of a tree near the shooting scene. It just tears me up. really does. It's just senseless. I can't, I can't get it out of my mind. No one
0: should watch the kid get shot in front of them. That is wrong as a society.
1: Witnesses say Sarabi Medina was fatally shot by someone who was upset over the noise of the scooter that she was riding. Chicago police say 43-year-old suspect Michael Goodman is in custody and has been charged with first-degree murder. Over 11,000 city workers in Los Angeles are walking off their jobs for a 24-hour strike. They're demanding higher pay while protesting against what they describe as unfair labor practices that restrict their rights. We haven't got a cost of living. Back. Everything's going up. Housing going up. Nobody can afford to. You can't work for the city and live in LA.
0: But I pay for everything myself. Um, I pay for my school. I pay for my car. My parents don't help me with any of that. And I bust my butt at work, so that would be very helpful for me.
1: Uh, Service Employees International Union Local 721 says its members voted to authorize the walkout because the city has repeatedly violated labor law. The largest public sector union in Southern California says the strikers are demanding respect and fighting for their dignity. Uh, Mayor Karen Bass has uh, disputed the allegations of unfair labor practices, saying that the city is ready to negotiate. That's your Headline News Update. This is Shane Biggum in the Chinese Capital. Coming up in business, consumer demand in China shows signs of recovery.
13: Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there.
1: 37 minutes past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more.
14: Chinese mainland markets traded lower again today. Both the uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen markets shed about half of 1% amid some more disappointing consumer and producer price data. Consumer and technology stocks were among the biggest drags on the markets today. Most Chinese automaker stocks so on the consumer side were trading lower. And we saw a similar loss for the uh, software maker Kingsoft uh, being one of the larger contributors to losses on the Shanghai Composite today. Uh, Gains were pretty thin on the ground in most sectors other than healthcare. Uh, CanSino there was way out in front, though, with an almost 20% jump after the uh, vaccine maker announced a deal with the pharma giant AstraZeneca. Uh, CanSino's filing to the stock exchange was fairly light on detail, though. Uh, It's uh, saying that it will produce and supply unspecified mRNA products to AstraZeneca. Uh, It definitely gave Chinese pharma stocks a boost.
1: And that was analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained over three-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was down over half a percent. China's Consumer Price Index, a main gauge of inflation, registered a monthly increase of 0.2% in July. The National Bureau of Statistics says this was due to a continued recovery of consumer demand. Food prices declined 1% while the prices of non-food items rose by half a percent. The price of air tickets rose by 26% with tourism costs up around uh, 10%. Uh, the prices of industrial consumer goods rose by 0.3% reversing a 0.4% decline in the previous month. On a yearly basis, the CPI declined 0.3% in July compared with the same period last year. Uh, Meantime, the producer price index, which measures costs of goods at the factory gate, was down 4.4% from a year earlier. PPI decline narrowed on both the monthly and yearly basis. With more insights on the latest CPI figures, uh, Zheng Junfeng spoke with Chu Cheng, research fellow with the Beijing Foreign Studies University.
5: Mr. Chu, uh, what's behind July's slight improvement in CPI from the month of June?
15: Oh, well, I think this number is actually uh, within our expectation. Um, basically, if you're in China, you would find the fundamentals and economy has been uh, stably improving, uh, slowly but stably improving. Uh, the reason why we're looking at the CPI number and the PPI number like that is because we're comparing the year on year data, uh, which means if you remember clearly, last year at the same period of time, uh, raw material price, especially the energy use is in a very very high position. For example, the oil is like 30% more expensive than currently. Mm. And also other things like uh, iron ore and etc. So we're comparing today's number to a very very high base number of last year. That's a reason why we're seeing the improvement is limited. But still, uh, comparing to this year itself, I think Chinese uh, fundamentals is, is very stable. Travel
5: prices like hotel prices, air tickets increased very fast, some 20%, while food prices decreased slightly. What does that tell us?
1: Well,
15: I think uh, on one hand, China shared the same rhythm like the other countries when they started the reopen process. Um, hospitality, industry, hotels, and uh, resorts, there's going to be very, very hot places. If you walk around Beijing, Everywhere are people. Uh, hotels are very expensive. Restaurants are getting price up, uh, but I think most of the cost happens in the you know personnel in, in hands. Uh, you know people are getting more expensive, and um, but for the food prices, actually comparing to the high raw material, high grain prices last year, the food prices started dropping because if you want to feed the stocks, uh, you need the stock feeds, and that comes from uh, the grain-producing countries which was in the peak of the geopolitical uh, conflict last year it's very expensive and also uh, when you want to uh, transport the food and etc and you want to transport the flushes you need the uh, gasoline also very expensive last year so the whole producing costs for those food and the flushes are much more cheaper this year that's the reason why i think uh... The one, the important part of the uh, the, the, the food prices are going down a little bit, but still, uh, if you take a look at the whole structure, I think everything is still balanced. So somewhere it's getting hotter, somewhere it's returning to the normal status. So China is, uh, I think, its fundamentals are very stable.
1: That was uh, Chu Chung research fellow with Beijing Foreign Studies University, sharing his insights on the CPI in July. China has been ramping up efforts to encourage consumer spending on various fronts, including the home appliance sector. The home appliance industry reported steady growth in the first half of this year. The industry's revenue grew more than 7 percent to around $128 billion U.S. dollars. The China Household Electric Appliances Association has attributed the growth to the acceleration of mid- and high-end transformation of the sector and multiple measures to reduce costs. Earlier this month, the central government issued measures to encourage spending on household goods and services, ranging from furniture to smart home appliances. With the further development of the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, people now have easier access to home automation devices. Smart appliances, which people can control remotely, are increasingly popular. Juni spoke with several industry insiders on the development of that sector.
16: As people increasingly feel the need for relaxing, learning, and spending time with the family at home, living rooms have become more important. And that means a growing market for furniture with smart abilities and smart home appliances that can make the living space more versatile. At the smart home item store in downtown Shanghai, everything from curtains to lighting to the aircon can be managed remotely via this monitor. They're all becoming increasingly popular
17: the number of our daily customers has almost doubled now and around 80 percent are younger people previously we only considered a home to be a living space but now there is an increasing demand for high quality lifestyles what we provide is a whole house smart home solution so the central control module is most popular as we use it to manage the other smart devices
16: Of course, stuffing houses with futuristic Internet of Things tech and smart devices means higher costs. But industry insiders say consumers are becoming more enthusiastic about the tech, despite higher prices.
17: To have a smart home, people will definitely spend more on the smart devices and the wiring. But many of those devices can help users save time and offer them an improved living space with a variety of functions, which are worth the extra money. And with the development of the country's manufacturing sector, we now see more smart devices coming into market, and they are more accepted by consumers. So despite the higher costs, we see a growing demand for the smart home solutions.
16: The Ministry of Commerce last month announced more support will be given to smart home appliance makers as well as to decoration companies. That's part of efforts to further boost consumption demand in the home decoration sector.
17: The home decoration industry has a long industrial chain. There are now around 150,000 decoration companies nationwide and that means there are around 15 million related upstream and downstream companies. More supports given to the industry will strongly support economic growth." The
16: market value of China's home decoration sector is now around 4 trillion yuan.
1: That was Ying Juni reporting. Official data shows that China's automobile exports have surpassed Japan to rank first in the world, in the first seven months of the year, exports rose by 74% to reach more than 2.7 million vehicles. The vehicles are worth 383 billion yuan, roughly 53 billion U.S. dollars. And that's a yearly increase of 118%. Ningbo Port in Zhejiang Province has seen significantly improved efficiency for exporting automobiles. Yue Yang, an official with Ningbo Customs. In the first half of the year, Ningbo port exported more
10: than 75,000 vehicles worth over 8.8 billion yuan, mainly to the European Union and the United Arab Emirates. As a result, the export distribution center is taking shape. The time for ship loading has been shortened by two to three days, reducing the cost of exporting automobiles. In
1: well, the meantime, new energy vehicle numbers increased by 35% in the first six months, accounting for 25% of the total export volume. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the closing ceremony of the World University Games.
10: Something special is happening in Miami. The GOAT Lionel Messi has been scoring goals in bunches since joining MLS side Inter Miami and is attracting a huge local and international audience. Meanwhile owner David Beckham and his celebrity friends have also added to the intrigue. What impact is celebrity culture and the Messi effect having on this league and team? Do European leagues need to be taking notes from their playbook? Join our discussions this week on the Sideline Story podcast to unpack this trending football topic.
1: At uh, 47 minutes past the hour now, turning to sports, and here is Young Guang.
10: Thank you, Shane. The World University Games closed on Tuesday night with the ceremony at the Open Air Music Park in Chengdu. A gala performance called Dreams Lighting Up the Future marked the end of the 12-day event. Acting FISU President Liang Zi said the Chengdu Games made the dreams of many student-athletes come true, whether they won medals or not. Officials handed the FISU flag over to the representatives of the 2025 host cities, Ruan Ruger. The event wrapped up with 22 new university Aid records. Chinese swimmer Jiang Yufei became the most prolific participant after earning gold medals in all nine events she entered. Then at the FIFA Women's World Cup, Eugène Lazoma scored twice as France advanced to the quarterfinals with a four-year win that ended Morocco's historic debut run at the global tournament. France's all-time leading scorer Lazoma Le struck once in each half as her country moved into a showdown with co-host Australia for place in the semifinals.
6: Yes, we started the game playing very well, and in the end we won 4-0. But I think we did most of the work during the first half. We scored very soon into the game, and that gave us confidence. Hence the game became easier for us. I believe we scored three goals in 10 minutes. It's been a great performance, and we feel confident for the next game.
10: Despite loss, Morocco became the first Arab nation to advance to the women's world, World Cup knockout stage. The latest reports regarding England striker Harry Kane's future suggest that Bundesliga giants Bayern Munich are planning to submit a dramatically increased bid of £94.6 million to English Premier League club Tottenham Hotspur in order to secure England captain services. This new bid following uh, follows Tottenham's rejection of Bayern's most recent bid, which amounted to 86 million pounds, including add-ons. Bayern are aware that Kane reportedly wants his future sorted out this week, ahead of Tottenham's opening game of the season at Brentford this weekend. According to news emerging from Germany, Kane's addition remains the top priority among Bayern's hierarchy. Playing in her first match since 2020, Caroline Wozniacki began her tennis comeback with a victory over Kimberly Beryl, 6 2 6 2, in the first round of the Canadian Open in Montreal. The 33 year old former world number no. one and 2018 Australian Open champion announced she would be returning to the sport in the first person essay for Vogue in June. She explained what it was like to integrate tennis back into her current schedule. You know, I wake up, I have breakfast with them, and then I say, okay, mama has to go to work. And then I go, you know, for my hours of training. And uh, when they wake up from their nap in the afternoon, I'm I'm back and we have play dates and do whatever. But yeah, it was just, that was a little different this morning. I was just like, wow, wait, I'm not practicing at nine o'clock. I'm not practicing at 9.30. So, so yeah, that was, that was fun. But it was also awesome just seeing you know, their smile, and and I tried to explain to Olivia I was going to play a match, and she goes, okay, mama, I have a wish, I wish you win. Wozniacki will next to face Wimbledon champion Maketa von Troseven, who beat Maya Sheriff 6-4, 6-2. Pickleball, a pedal sport combining elements of tennis, badminton and ping-pong, has been gaining traction in the United States and is now making its way to Shanghai. Although the sport has been around since the 1960s, it has recently become a trendy outdoor activity. Zhang Yue hit the pickleball courts and spoke to the participants there to see what is making the sport popular.
6: In the same size as a doubles badminton court, Using a racket about twice the size of ping-pong paddles and a plastic ball with holes, you are ready to get started.
13: Mid-run. It's quite easy to pick up in just 30 minutes and get started. My son and I were instantly hooked because we can feel how enjoyable and fun it is.
1: I practice tennis every week, so this is not that hard for me. But the ball is plastic and has no bounce like tennis ball, so I need to be harder when hitting it.
6: Invented in 1965 in Seattle, Washington, the origin of the sports name is something enthusiasts may argue about. Without expensive gear or special apparel, the small court also means less running around. The demand for safe distanced activities during the pandemic also helped fuel the sports growth. The Association of Pickleball Professionals said the sport has 8.9 million players in the USA, and a growth rate of about 158 percent from 2020 to 2022. Here in China, Hashtag Pickleball has received over 15 million views on Douyin.
7: I think sports like pickleball will be popular here in Shanghai, because the city is very diversified, and young people love to mingle by playing sports. However, venues and courts in the downtown area for group sports like pickleball, tennis, and frisbee are always fully booked.
6: At Kaitian Pedestrian Street in Changning, the Shanghai Tennis Association is trying to raise awareness for the sport by hosting a competition open to people of all ages.
17: Our way to promote pickleball is to make it fun by playing hip-hop music, playing games, and having food and drink on hand. We plan to do this in eight districts across Shanghai. The top eight players will be qualified for the final.
12: We've got a really good kind of relaxed feel over here, so that's fantastic, right? I can certainly see there's a lot of people interested in playing some sports here, so it's it's really cool.
6: The global pickleball paddle market is expected to reach 254 million US dollars by 2028.
10: That was Zhang Yue on the popularity of pickleball in Shanghai.
1: Thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the city walk trend on Chinese social media. The Beijing Hour.
4: Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour.
1: Hi, I'm
2: Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang
0: Lang.
1: Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing
10: Hour, your window to China
1: and the world. At 53 past the hour now in culture and entertainment, City Walk is trending on Chinese social media this summer. In Shanghai, it's a popular tourism product, attracting visitors and history enthusiasts. Chen Tong has the story.
12: At 4 p.m. on Saturday, we gathered at the Jing'an Temple Metro Station. A total of 25 people, led by a guide. Instead of visiting landmarks, the guide led us to old buildings hidden in neighborhoods, explaining their architectural styles and sharing the history behind them. Many of the tourists are actually people who have lived in Shanghai for a long time and want to learn more about the city.
8: I can learn more about what happened on this street and why this place looks the way it does. If I were to walk around randomly by myself, I might forget what I visited. The guide does a lot of work and tells many histories behind it. You
12: wouldn't know it if you hadn't studied it. In fact, this professional team has been engaged in the city walk business for five years. The ticket price for a trip per person is about 150 yuan or around 20 US dollars. The demand for their City Walk products surged this summer.
5: The promotion of the City Walk concept on social media has made our products and services more popular than ever this summer. Each of our routes can accommodate up to 25 people, but tickets have been in high demand.
12: Not only in Shanghai, but the phenomenon of City Walk has also spread across China. Data from the travel agency Trip.com shows that since June, searches for tourism products related to city walk have increased five fold compared to a year ago. Currently, numerous CityWalk products have incorporated distinctive local experiences and the range of scenes has become increasingly diverse. It has evolved from mere street-level walking to exploring the interiors of buildings, enabling travelers to truly measure and savor the city, deepening their impressions of it. While this City Walk business is becoming more sophisticated, it also requires tour guides to put more
10: effort into each trip. We are racing against city renovations, so every time we design a route, we need to first check whether the buildings have been removed or
13: changed.
12: The whole trip takes about three hours and ends near Shanghai's Zhongshan Hospital. I would never know the history behind the places we visited if I hadn't taken this trip. It has become a well-organized and a serious business.
1: That was Chen Tong on the trendy city walk in Shanghai. Oscar-nominated documentary Fire of Love is set for Chinese theaters on August 18th.
6: Alone, they could only dream of volcanoes together.
1: The film, produced by National Geographic, follows the lives of a daring French couple who were chasing the eruptions of of volcanoes around the the globe and documenting their discoveries. They lost their lives in a 1991 volcanic explosion, leaving a legacy that enriched the knowledge of the natural world. The film had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival last year, where it won the Jonathan Oppenheim Editing Award in the U.S. Documentary category. First Chinese film to expose the inner workings of overseas online fraud, No More Bets, has become a major hit, taking the lead in terms of screen share and box office. After the film earned 420 million yuan in China in pre-screenings, the film moved up its release date from this Friday to Tuesday. And as of Tuesday afternoon, the film had already crossed the 600 million yuan mark. Directed by Shen Ao, No More Bets is based on tens of thousands of fraud cases in China. The film's release coincides with an announcement from the Chinese government at the end of last month, where plans were revealed to crack down on overseas telecom fraud in a move to safeguard the interests of the public. Local authorities say workers were uh, or rather workers have moved all cultural relics and digital storage away from danger at He, an archaeological site known as the birthplace of Beijing. However, recent heavy downpours have damaged burial chambers at the site. The museum at the site was inundated as Beijing recorded extreme rainfall between July 29th and August 2nd. Water levels at the site reached as high as 1.5 meters and the depth of water in the exhibition hall at the museum reached 20 centimeters. At 58 past the hour. Beijing's at 24 overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy in 30 degrees. Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then clouds in 35. is getting a slight rain and 12 degrees this evening, uh, showers in 24 tomorrow. Hong Kong dips to 29 degrees, then heavy rainfall in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 overnight. It'll see a slight rain and 31 on Thursday. Islamabad has 25 degrees this evening, then it's a slight rain and 34. Bangkok's 26 overnight, then rainfall and 35 on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a slight rain and uh, 22 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 this evening. Tomorrow, a slight rain and 24 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China continues to deal with flooding in many cities and villages, with more rainfall on the way for the country's northeastern provinces. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigam in the Chinese Capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.
13: Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe
6: a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant, who made people, and Mr. Curie, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese Folk Tales, and we will explore the ancient, mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google
17: Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.